I'm sure everybody will be along shortly. We're always everybody's late. Um, he's Jesus is. Uh, all right, somebody else tell me the context of what's going on. That way, I know we're actually learning. What's happening, in John chapter sixteen? The same thing that's been happening in chapter thirteen, chapter fourteen, chapter fifteen. He's trying to prepare his disciples for his going away. He's preparing his disciples for his going away. It's the last few hours of <clears throat> Jesus' life. You know, it's uh, it's right before they come to grab him and take him to trial, and you know they'll go through the, the all the different trials, different places, and then finally crucify him. And he knows that that's coming, and he's ready to go. And he's preparing his disciples for what's coming. He's already told them. We ended last week, chapter 15, uh, talking about uh, Jesus was warning them about all the persecution and all the things that would come from uh, you know the other the, the people around them and how they will be hated amongst the people. Uh, and we talked about how that's still true today. When you uh, when you live for Christ, when you desire to live holy, you will be persecuted and hated and maligned. And, and look what uh, happened in Charleston this week. I mean, when I read that in the news, this is what I thought. Yeah, I hadn't. Heard, I mean, I know that happened, but I hadn't. I don't have the news, so I don't hear. I mean, there's no telling what all they're saying now. Um, but you will always be. You will always be hated for your testimony of of Christ. It's a fact, and most of the time it won't be that severe. But most of the time, it'll be a you know, who do you think you are to judge me? You holier than now, you know. What makes you think you're so good? What makes you think you're you know? And then you get called all kind of names, hateful, bigot, all those kind of things. Well, and we start in chapter 16. He's going to continue this line of thought. He's going to prepare these disciples for the persecution they're going to you know uh, encounter, and he's also going to prepare them for the coming of the Holy Spirit. And this was this section was very interesting to me because when he talks about the Holy Spirit, he's he's going to actually say pretty much he's going to say it's better for you that I leave and not stay with you because when I leave, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, and it'll be better for the Holy Spirit to be in you than to me be standing next to you. So that's pretty interesting, but we'll get to that. Um, first thing, verse 1, it says, These things I have spoken to you that you should not be offended. What are these things? He's going to say these things over and over and over again in this chapter. What are these things? commandments. Yes, but... These things have a reference to what we talked about last week. So if he if he's telling us these things, it's about the persecution they're going to endure. Yes, he's well. Yes, he's he's telling them. I've told you and warned you about all these things because when it happens, I don't want you to be offended. That word "offended" means to fall away. It means to be. It's literally the word "scandalized." So um, he's telling them. You know, can you imagine what would happen if the disciples? went rocking right on like after Jesus was crucified and, and uh, you know all of a sudden they realized 
hey, people are going to persecute us. People hate us. People, you know, a lot of people don't understand that when they get in this Christian life, when they accept Christ, when they start to living for Him. And what happens is they start, you know, forget this. This is hard work. This is, this is, you know, I, I, I'm a target. People's going to target me and, you know, they're going to hate me and talk about me and say all these things about me. And he said, I'm telling you that this is coming. Therefore, before you even get into, before you even get into it, you need to understand that you will be persecuted and you will be hated and you will be, you will be sought after and, and killed eventually for the faith. So I'm telling you this so you know, you have to plan ahead. You have to, uh, Understand that you have to count the cost before you get in this thing. Uh, how many people I've seen that have, and I'm sure you have too, people in your own families, in your own neighborhoods that, you know, they're like the word, it's like the seed that's spread on the ground. You know, they accept it with joy. And then when the trials of the world come, when the whatever choke it out, they're, uh, they're offended. They go away. I am so distracted that I'm sorry. Um, he wants us to be ready. And most of the people that persecute you are going to be religious people. Verse 2 and 3, it says, They shall put you out of the synagogues. Yea, the time cometh that whosoever killeth you will think he doth God's, doeth God's service. And these things they will do unto you because they have not known the Father nor me. How do religious people persecute us today? <clears throat> Back then, it was easy to see. I mean, Paul was the number one. He said, I thought I was doing God's work by going around killing Christians. And so that, that was literally fulfilled in, in Paul. So how do religious people persecute us Christians in general today? Huh? Today. Today, yeah. Say again. Yes, they kill people. Heads cut off. You see it all over in countries around the world. Christians undergoing persecution. And those are religious people, ain't they? They're yeah. my God's better than your God, Muslim folks. Well, they take our our religious rights away, like the Ten Commandments, prayer, and Bibles in school. Because, I mean, they know, you know it's the right, the right, and the government doesn't want anything greater than idiots. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And especially, I, I can't tell you how often you will run into, especially when you start living a holy life and saying, you know, sin is sin and we don't need to be living in sin and Christ died so that we'd be free from sin. Then, then, then religious people will start saying, well, God's all about love and you're not very loving. You're, you're being a hater. You're being a bigot. You're being a... You know, you're, you're calling all kinds of names and saying that God is not really like that. God's not a judge anymore. God doesn't want, you know, us to tell people that they're sinners or that there is a such thing as sin or that today it seems like the greatest offense known to man is to tell somebody they're wrong. Oh, you can't do that. You can't tell people they're wrong. And so they will continually, in this text, he says, they'll excommunicate you from the synagogue. They will they'll put you out of the synagogue. That doesn't sound like much to us, but to a, a first century Jew, that was really something fierce. Because you would basically the the synagogue, the the you know the the teaching of God, the the fellowship of those together, the, the men that taught and go to the temple and all those kind of things. Uh, 
I mean, to be thrown out of the synagogue, to be banned from the synagogue, was to be cut off from Judaism. It would be cut off from your family, cut off from, you know, if you were, if your dad and your mom were members of the synagogue and they were steeped in Jewish heritage and all those things, then all of a sudden they would have to disown you. You know, they'd have to disown you and cut off from the synagogue, wasn't able to do business with the Jewish people, cut off from your heritage, from your lineage, from all those things. It, it would have been something, something really, really, really bad. Um, and verse 3 tells us that those that do that, those that do that are the ones that do not truly know God. The ones that, the ones that persecute the church. Now, think about this. It's easy to see how the black hooded Muslim guy on the TV cutting somebody's head off doesn't love God. We, I mean, that's, that's a no-brainer. That he's not doing God's will. He's, he's an enemy against God. But it's a little, it's a little um, harder to see that the person next door here where there's not such severe persecution, the person who says, you know what, I just don't believe God is like that. My God is a God of love. He would never send somebody to hell. Um, you're, you're wrong for saying that you know, God is a judge and that there's, you know, he, he cares about sin. And to do that is to deny that deny the actual God. Does that make sense? That's it. Put it this way. What if I told you um, that I love Jesus and Jesus is my God? And you said, oh, that's great. I love Jesus too. It's all good. We love Jesus and we all love Jesus. And, and then you, you said, tell me about Jesus. And so I said, well, Jesus is a big satellite and he's it, it's floating around in the atmosphere and has an antenna that hears my prayers and and every now and again it beams stuff down from the satellite. Now is that Jesus, the Jesus of the Bible? No. It doesn't matter if I call it Jesus; it's not the true Jesus. Will that Jesus save me from my sin? No. No. It doesn't matter if that I call it Jesus. So when you say that you know God is is just a God of love who would never who would never punish sin, who would never. Uh, be wrathful or something like that. that. That's all fine and great, but the reality is that God doesn't exist anywhere because the God of the Bible is a God that is perfect in His love, but He's also a God that's perfect in His wrath and His justice as well. Does that make sense? You see where I'm going now? So these guys, many people will say, you know, I, I, yes, I'm, I'm religious, or yes, I believe in God, or yes, I, I'm a Christian, um, but by denying the God of the Bible, they have have really just made a God in their own mind. They've invented a God that suits their liking. If, if you know, if most times people do it because of their sin. If I, if, if I like, you know, lusting after stuff and dirty movies, then my God's going to be okay with that. You know, if I like, you know, going out and robbing people, then my God will be okay with that because I made him up in my mind and I made him up to suit me. Uh, but Jesus says that they will persecute the church. They will persecute you in God's name, but they're doing it because they don't really know the Father and they don't really know the Son. Verse 3 said, these things they will do unto you because they have not known the Father nor me. And he's warning them so 
He can build their resolve before it even happens. He says, verse 4, These things I have told you, that when the time shall come, you may remember that I told you of them. And these things I said not unto you at the beginning, because I was with you. He said, I'm telling you these things because you need to know. You don't need to be shocked by the fact that well, the world's going to hate you. Hey, you don't need to be shocked by the fact that your family is going to hate you when you accept Christ. If, they're, if they haven't accepted Christ, accepted Christ. You don't need to be shocked by the fact that the you know the most people in the world are not going to line up with what you believe. You don't have to be shocked by the fact that you know most people are going to deny everything you believe to the point that it will come where they will end up saying that you are a hate monger or a, a bigot or a, you know whatever. Most of the people that were persecuted in the in the early church were not persecuted because they loved Jesus. That's why. But it was never we're killing you because you. Love of Jesus. We're killing you because you're uh, an atheist or a hater or, a, or a whatever. They, they killed people during the Reformation or not before the Reformation like um, William Tyndall. They killed him for translating the Bible in English. Now they didn't say that's why we killed him. They killed him for heresy against the church. But the reality was he just translated the Bible to English and so they burned him at stake. Or maybe that wasn't William Tyndall. Anyway, you get my point, right? Okay, so he says, I didn't tell you this stuff because I was with you. But now I'm leaving. He's leaving. And the disciples are sad. I mean, they don't understand... The, they don't understand what's going on. They don't understand that Jesus is going to the cross. He's going to die for sin. He's going to be resurrected. He's going to the Father. They don't understand how this is going to be better. He says, verse 5, he says, But now I go my way. I go my way to him that sent me. And none of you asketh me, Whither goest thou? But because I have said these things unto you, sorrow has filled their heart. What do you think they were thinking? Okay, I'm a disciple. I've been walking with Jesus for three years. I think Jesus, I believe in all my heart, Jesus is the Messiah. He's the one that's going to come free us from slavery and free us from oppression. And he's going to reestablish God's kingdom here on earth. And now all of a sudden Jesus says, hey guys, uh, I'm leaving. What do you think is going through their mind? Just confused. They're confused. They're hurt. They're hurt. Hurt, yes. Fearful. Yes. Very fearful. Anything else? I might feel betrayed. Yeah, they might be feel betrayed. Like you're not. This is not supposed to be happening this way. And so, what they weren't doing was they weren't realizing the blessing that's coming from Jesus leaving. That's why he says, "Look, I'm leaving, and you all, all you guys are sad, but none of you is asking me the right question." None of you is asking, where are you going? Because that's the important thing. You need to understand that where I'm going, I'm going to the Father. And because I go to the Father, it's going to be better for you. It says... Um, it's such a perfect picture of human nature. We have all these, this greatness happens, this greatness happens, and all of a sudden it stops. And we're like, why did it stop? You know, mm-hmm. what did I do? Why don't you want to be with me no more? And the reality is that it was something better coming. Now think about that. Let's just read verse 7 then we'll talk about it. It says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is expedient, which means it's better for you. It's expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. Now think about this. It's better, listen, for you. 
as a believer in Christ Church in Brownsville, Tennessee, 2015, it's better for you to have the Holy Spirit living inside of you than to have Jesus walking next to you. How many times have you thought, man, if I was just alive during that time when Jesus, you know, I could have been his follower, I could have whatever, or I wish Jesus would just come and talk to me for a minute. If he would just come and sit down and, and, you know, have a cup of coffee with me or just come explain some things to me or, or, you know, wouldn't it be great when Jesus... But the reality was, Jesus said, it's better for you. Right now, we are in a better position in our relationship with God than the disciples were who walked with Christ. Because we weren't walking, we're not walking side by side with Christ. We're walking with Christ in us. We're walking in direct communion and fellowship with Christ. It's better now, the way that we are with the Holy Spirit living inside of us, with salvation obtained already because of what Jesus did on the cross, than to be following Him around in the hills of Galilee. Does that surprise any of you? Have you ever thought about that that way? I've often thought, man, wouldn't it be great if just Jesus would come and, you know, just... I've often thought what it would be like if He just all of a sudden stood in your living room and be like, whoa! And then you'd be like, you know, what, what would you say? What would, you know... But the reality is that He, we have perfect communication, perfect communion, perfect fellowship with Him because he not only is He beside us and walking with us, but He's in us. And so He's telling His disciples, look, you guys are sad because I'm leaving, but you're, you're missing the whole point. You're missing the whole issue that's going on. You're not asking, I'm going to my Father, and it's better for you that I go to my Father because if I go to my Father, then I'm going to send the Comforter to come and He's going to live in you. He's going to be inside of you. He's going to change your heart. And it was that Comforter, it was the Holy Spirit that came to them that changed them from fearful students of Christ. They were fearful. They were scared. They were timid. They were afraid. Then all of a sudden, in one day on Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came to them, they became the mighty apostles ready to preach in front of persecution and didn't matter who was listening and to face beatings and floggings and jail and to be killed for his name. It was the only difference between the day before and the day after was not that they knew more, although the Holy Spirit did guide them into all truth, but that they were empowered and had a personal uh, a personal relationship with the God of heaven. Does that make sense? You're with me? I couldn't imagine going through daily life not having guidance here and trying to do it my own way. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, there's many times a day that the Holy Spirit directs me different ways or keeps me straight or, you know, whatever, but they didn't have that. You know, mm-hmm. that was a... I couldn't imagine just going through a day trying to do it myself. Yeah. yeah. They, they based everything on, on the law of what they... of what was written. You know, if I break that law, then I have to go do A, B, C, and D. You know, they didn't have that that immediate one-on-one. Right. Yeah. Now, there was a Holy Spirit at, before the cross, and the Holy Spirit was active. But He did not indwell us in the same way that He does now. He In the same fullness. Let's put it that way. The same fullness that He does now. Does that make sense? 
Okay? So don't think like it's a new thing. I mean, it's, it's an incredibly old thing. And the Holy Spirit did indwell people in the Old Testament, but not in the same sense that He does today, that we are all priests and, and kings in, in Christ, and that we're all... Um, the veil is ripped and we don't need a priest or a sacrifice to come because the ultimate priest and sacrifice is Christ. Um, he's, they're sad he's leaving. He said it's better for them. And then he's going to, in verse 8 through 15, he's going to talk about the work of the Holy Spirit when he comes. Now this is where we'll, this is where we'll focus because the Holy Spirit does specific things in the world and He does specific things in you. And if the Holy Spirit is not doing these things, then we need to question whether it's the Holy Spirit that's leading us. It says, uh, the first thing is that He's going to convict the world. In verse 8 it says, um, and when He has come, notice it's always He, it's not it. Uh, When He has come, He will reprove or convict the world of sin and of righteousness and judgment. Those three things. Sin, righteousness, and judgment. That's what He will do. The Holy Spirit's actions in the world are to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Uh, we'll take the three, verse 9, 10, 11, take the three one at a time. Of sin, because they believe not on me. Of righteousness, because I go to be with my Father, you see me no more. Of judgment, because the prince of this world is judged. So, the Holy Spirit will convict you and I and the world of sin. What does that mean? What does it look like? To convict you of sin because they believe not on me. It's not a trick question. It's easy. What does conviction of sin look like? Huh? No, the conviction of sin. Not the... Not the uh, yes, absolutely. Um, the world does not believe that Christ is the sacrifice for sin. The world... I, I, I'll tell you what, I speak for myself, and I know that you will probably agree with me, that before I was convicted by the Holy Spirit, I could sin all day long, and I didn't care. I could care less. I made excuses. Oh, I'm. you asked me, I'll tell you I'm a Christian. You asked me, I'll tell you I'm religious. I would go to church. I would tithe. I'd do all those things. Um, but... I could sin all day long and it did not bother me not one bit. I would pray for forgiveness in my own little way and it would all be good and you know we'd rock on to the next day. Um, it wasn't until the Holy Spirit came and convicted me that I realized the wretchedness of sin. Men love their sin. It's as simple as that. Whatever your particular sin is, you will love it. And you will justify it. Doesn't matter what the Bible says. Doesn't matter what anybody says. Doesn't matter how many sermons you hear. You will justify whatever sin you love. And you will say, well, this sin is okay. And you'll make up whatever it is that, you know, and that's what we do. That's what the world does. But when the Holy Spirit comes, He will convict you of that sin. He will convict the world of their sin. There will come a time, and we are of the world when we're not in Christ. And so there comes a time when the Holy Spirit comes to you, and then all of a sudden, in a flash, in a moment, all of a sudden you see all the sin in your life and you say, this is all evil. It's all wretched. It's all 
You know, and that's when that's when God comes to us and says, "Well, I'm I, I'm a savior, and I can save you." And but no one can be saved until the lost. You've probably heard that before. I remember sitting on the front front little couch here with a, a little girl after Bible school. This was a couple of years ago. That was quite a few years ago. And uh, parents had brought her back after Bible school, and they were, you know, we always give invitation at Bible school. We always talk about the gospel. And a parent says, "I think my daughter, you know, is ready to be saved." And so uh, I'm all for it. You know, I, I don't believe there's no no age requirement. And so I sit down, and they they wanted to talk. And so I talked to them, and the first question I asked the young lady was, um, "Can you you know any of the Ten Commandments?" And she said yes. And we went through three or four of them. And I said, "Have you ever broken any of the Ten Commandments?" She said, "Oh no, sir." And I was like, "Well, have you ever broken any of God's laws? Have you ever sinned against God?" And she said, "No, not me." And at that moment, I said, she's not, she's not ready. She's not, I mean, I understand she could tell me all about Jesus. I understand she could tell me all about the cross. I understand she could tell me what happened. But until she understands that Jesus died for her sin, I mean, I can't go any further with her. I mean, now you're a parent, so you, you know, you do what you need to do. But I'm just saying, I, until she understands that I am a sinner and Christ came to save me from my sin... There's not much more. There's not much more I can do. I can't go into the into the whole deal with her. And so that's what the Holy Spirit does. It'll convict you of sin. It'll convict you of righteousness. That your righteousness is no good, and that Jesus' righteousness is perfect. And the reason He said, "Because I go to be with my Father," in verse ten, He says, "Of righteousness, because I go to my Father." A lot of us don't put much stock in the ascension when Jesus ascended to heaven. But the reality of that event was that was the proof. The resurrection and the ascension was the proof that Jesus' sacrifice was accepted by the Father. See what I mean? So he says, of righteousness, because I go to be with my Father. When Jesus went back to his Father, he came and, you know, I might be embellishing a little bit, but walked through those heavenly halls and sat down at the right hand of his father and his father you know would be well done my good and faithful you know you are my son and you I'm well pleased and and uh, and by doing that by rising from the dead by ascending to his father he uh, demonstrated that the father accepted his sacrifice and that's the righteousness that you and I have to have and then of judgment of course that's a no brainer um, there's judgment coming there's judgment coming, and all all men will be judged. So, any questions, comments? The Holy Spirit is convicting you in your life of sin. He's convicting you of Christ's righteousness, that it's real, that it's true, and that that's what you need. And He's convicting you of judgment, that there's a day when judgment will come for all. And those that are found outside of Christ's righteousness will be judged and will be judged harshly and will be judged by their works. And there won't be any salvation outside of who Jesus is. Make sense? That's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit does not just come and make you feel good. It doesn't just come and, you know, it it convicts you of sin and righteousness and judgment. Okay? I say it. I'm going to do that all the time. He convicts you of sin, righteousness, and The second thing the Holy Spirit does is He's going to guide the disciples. And that's us too. Verse 12 through 13. I have yet many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. That's what Jesus said. I got a lot of stuff to tell you, but you just can't handle it. 
But 13 says, Howbeit when He, the Spirit of truth, has come, He will guide you into all truth. For He shall not speak of Himself, but whatsoever He shall hear, that shall He speak, and He will show you the things to come. Um, He's going to guide them in all truth. There's three things that kind of explain what He's talking about. Number one, the disciples were going to be the ones who were inspired to write the Scriptures. The Holy Spirit is going to lead them in all truth. He's going to come and He's going to indwell them and He's going to inspire their writing so that they will record all of God's Word for everyone who would come after them. That's He will lead you in all truth. Um, Another another application of that could be is that uh, He is going to, the Spirit is going to bear witness with your spirit um, that you are a child of God. So as we read the Scripture... It's not just words on a page. It's not just historical facts, but it's the Holy Spirit speaking to us through that. Does that make sense? If you've ever read, I mean, I've read the Bible. Before I was saved, I read the Bible bunches of times. And I knew all the Sunday school facts. I knew all, you know, I'd been through all. And I could argue with you about, you know, you could tell me something's wrong and I could argue with you and make a good case from scriptures and I mean, throw out Bible verses. Um, so it was all good. Uh, but the day, and I've told you the story before, the day after I was saved, uh, it was like the Lord spoke to me for the first time as I was reading the Scripture. And that's the difference between the Holy Spirit and and a lost man, is that the Holy Spirit will speak to you uh, through the Scripture. He will testify to your heart and guide you into what is right. Have you ever felt, let me just throw this out, have you ever felt like somebody was talking to you? Maybe you were listening to a teacher, you were listening to somebody on TV, and you were listening to uh, just any, something, something religious, something spiritual, and just something inside you said, that's not right. But you couldn't put your finger on what was wrong about it. Yeah. You ever had that? But you just know, I just know in my heart that ain't right. Something's bad, wrong right there. But you can't really put your finger on it. That's um, that. That's God's spirit bearing witness with your spirit. And it's not. It's like I can't. I couldn't explain it to you really. But I just know because I've been putting the word in my in my mind, and I've been you know fellowshipping with the church, and I've been around God's teaching, and I've had the Spirit speaking to me, and and all these things. I just know something. Something's bad off right there. I don't know what it is, but it's just bad off. And you can see that that's the the Holy Spirit. Spirit guiding you into truth. It, uh, one of the great passages, if you go back and to just make a note of this and you can go look it up. If you go back into 1 John where it says, greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. If you look at the context of that verse, read before it and read after it. What he's talking about there is that God will not allow his children to permanently go off into error. He will not allow his children to be deceived Now, they might be deceived for a time, but the spirit inside of them, he says, uh, before before it says, greater is he that's in you, uh, somebody find that. Let's just turn to it and read it. Um, It's going to be in 1 John. Uh, 1 John. This is where I'll be getting on my phone searching. Oh, yes, yeah, in chapter 4. Look, I turned right chapter to it. Four. 
Look, let's read First John chapter 4, starting verse 1. And follow the context. It says, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God. Why do we try the spirits? It says, because many false prophets are going out into the world. It says, hereby, this is how you will know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. There were teachers saying that Jesus wasn't a real person. He was only looked like a real person. And so, in verse 3 says, And every spirit that confesses, confesses not that Jesus has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of Antichrist, whereof you have heard that it should come, and even now is in the world. So what's he warning them about? False teachers. He's worrying about false teachers. And he said, you are of God, little children, and have overcome who? The false teachers. Why? Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. You see that? You see it? He will not allow, the Holy Spirit in you will not allow, you may be deceived for a season. You may be, somebody may may catch you off guard once in a while, but God will not allow His children to continue in false doctrine, false teaching. He will bring you out of it one way or another. Makes sense? It wraps it completely up. What does it say? I've already turned back. It says, we are of God, he that knoweth God, heareth us. He that is not of God, heareth not us. Hereby know we we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Yeah. Whoever listens to us, he's talking about the disciples, the apostles who wrote the scripture. Mm-hmm. Whoever, uh, he's talking about the word of God. Whoever listens to the word of God. And if okay. it's not of the word of God, then, you know, they will not hear it. They won't hear it. If they're not of God, they won't hear it. And that just yeah. And so he's going to, it says the Holy Spirit will guide disciples. Last thing, the Holy Spirit will glorify Jesus and he will reveal more of Jesus. That don't even make sense, does it? Remember Jesus said, it's better for you if I go away and the Holy Spirit comes to you. The Holy Spirit would reveal more about Jesus than Jesus standing there with him. You see how, you see how it's kind of like a, Paradox. It doesn't even really make sense that I've all you know, Jesus. I just want you to manifest yourself to me. I just want you to, you know, I want to, I want to know you're real. I want to see you. With the reality is that the Holy Spirit living inside of you reveals more about Christ than if the God Man was standing next to you, because you are. You have a personal. Relationship. You have a personal, intimate, internal relationship with Him. Through the Holy Spirit. It says, verse, uh, let's just read it and we'll go. It says, uh, 14, He shall glorify me. Who shall? This Holy Spirit shall glorify me. For he shall receive of mine and shall show it unto you. All the things that the Father hath are mine. Therefore said I that he shall take of mine and show it to you. He said, Jesus, he's saying, the Holy Spirit comes, he's going to glorify me. Now, a lot of, lot of things going on that people say are of the Holy Spirit. A lot of things. But if it's not glorifying Christ, if it's not glorifying Jesus, is the Holy Spirit. No. Jesus specifically said that when the Holy Spirit comes, He will glorify me. He will not speak of Himself, but what He has heard from the Father and the Son. And so, last, lastly... Um, it says, a little while and you shall not see me. And again, a little while. Oh, no. That's. 
We, no, we're going to stop there. We'll start 16 next, next time. But He reveals Christ and He glorifies Christ. So here's the thing. No one is saved without the Holy Spirit living in them. If you're not led by the Spirit, you're not the sons of God. That's clear in Romans. So the markers of the Holy Spirit working in your life is that it convicts you of sin, it convicts you of righteousness, and it convicts you of the judgment. It guides you in all truth. It testifies that the Word is true. And He glorifies Jesus in and through you. Does that make sense? Jesus is telling His disciples, listen, there are going to be times, just for you guys, there's going to be times when you go through hard times. There's going to be times when you go through struggles, trials, tribulations, all kind of things in your life um, where you will not think that, you will think it'll feel like Jesus is far away from you when you go through all these hard, difficult things. Um, but the reality is that Jesus is telling us that you are in a better... He's telling these disciples, you're going to be killed, you're going to be persecuted, you're going to be hated, but you're going to be in a better position than you are now when you're killed and when you're hated because the Holy Spirit is coming to you and it will be in you and it will testify of me and it will glorify me. And so no matter what we go through, no matter what trials, no matter what persecutions, no matter what, we are, we're, you are in a better position today than the disciple was that was standing next to Jesus when he said these words. I don't know if I don't know if that's I mean that's just amazing to me. I mean it's just it kind of blows my mind if you just wrap your mind around that for a little while and just think on it that right now in intimate fellowship with God in in fellowship with the Holy Spirit that's in my heart working in me doing what it does and doing what he does in me um, I'm in a better position in fellowship with God than the disciple who's sitting right next to Jesus. That's any thoughts? No? Okay, let's pray. Lord, we love You. We thank You so much for Your Word. Thank You for all that You've given. Thank You for all that You do. We pray that You would be with us in service in the...